Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. I'd like to welcome Sue Everett, a senior nurse practitioner in sexual health and a senior lecturer at Middlesex University. I know you're very busy with your PhD at the moment, so thank you so much, Sue, for joining me. I want to take you back to the beginning. What made you want to be a nurse in the first place? So I'm somebody who always wanted to be a nurse. I trained at a London teaching hospital. I and my flatmates that I lived with are completely put off by this. I wrote to um, St Thomas's Hospital from the age of 10. Wow. So I was really, really dead keen to be a nurse and I always wanted to do it and I didn't apply to another hospital, which I would not recommend <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's mad. Why would you do that? But uh, that's what I did. I always wanted to go there. I was heavily influenced by having measles as a child and reading a ladybird book on nursing. So that was sort of what led me into it. I did all my sort of A-levels sort of around that really. And nursing, and I loved my nurse training. It was good, it was very interesting. It was hard work. We were student nurses that did nights every month. It was fun, but it was very hard work. And then when I qualified, I stayed for a year and then I decided I wanted to do midwifery. So did you always know that you wanted to do midwifery or that you wanted to be dual registered or was it something that you thought about during that year? In my day, I mean, it sounds my day, so it's a long time ago, um, and we are talking about the 80s, is that there wasn't a combined midwifery route. And I didn't want to be a midwife when I first started as a general nurse. So I decided I wanted to do midwifery because I wanted to travel and I wanted to go into sexual health. And I chose to go to Scotland. My family is Scottish, so I chose to go back home. My family are from Glasgow and I chose not to go to Glasgow because my family lived there and I wanted, didn't want to live with my family. So I went to Edinburgh. I had a great time, but I failed. I felt my midwifery. When I talk to students that fail, and I always tell them when they fail something, I say, do you know what? I failed my midwifery. And they'll go, what? Mm-hmm. You know, because they think that I can't have failed anything. And I've had, I've had the same. I think I failed about one module a year in my in, during yeah. my degree. And my mum jokes that I liked my nursing degree so much I did loads of it twice, yeah. <laughs> which she wasn't wrong. But yeah, when I now and like the course I've done since, like everyone's always very shocked. And I think actually a lot for me was learning about about what people wanted I think I spent a lot of time writing what I thought the lecturers wanted me to write not actually what the purpose of and I think that that's you I think also you learn a lot about failing and what I learned about myself was that I'm somebody who takes it very seriously and a colleague recently said oh you're a bit of swat and I am a bit of a swat if you like I am somebody who works very hard and will do all the revision but I'm somebody who can over revise and actually you know you need to go out you need to get some fresh air you need to leave the work so that you don't overload your brain so I'm sort of very aware of that but I'm also aware that you know by failing you actually have to get over that stumbling block and as well I think a lot of the time you don't you don't get a lot of time to do a re you know we only give now kind of six weeks between mm. the result and then the resubmission date and I remember when I did my degree it was I think it was a month so I remember I used to give myself I had a a process I used to give myself a day I was allowed to be really (laughs) upset for a day and then the next day I had to go because we were doing placement I was working and it was like you've got to keep the ball rolling you've got to kind of get and you can't wallow I, I found I couldn't sit and be upset too long it had to be a 
get up, shake it off. Yes. And I, I mean, I failed at a time in Edinburgh when nobody failed. You know, I was the first person in my set to fail. I, it, when I failed, I mean, it was a disaster. I was devastated. I had just met my future husband and he was down in London and I desperately wanted to be back in London. I remember ringing up and said I failed and he thought I was joking because oh, it meant no. because he thought you know he thought we, we were going to get married so you know it had huge implications and I had to leave Edinburgh and come back and reset the exam and I had to pay to do the exam and I remember talking to my dad and my dad said I'll pay you know it was I can't remember how much money it was it wasn't that much but you know in those days you didn't earn a lot of money I mean we don't earn a lot of money now but we didn't then mm. and you know, my dad said, I'll pay for it if that, if you want to do that. I'll oh, pay. bless you. And one of the things I suppose I've always thought is I'd never, I was glad I went back and redid it because I never wanted to say, and I remember saying to him, I never want to look back and say, I wish I had done it because if I had done it and I'd passed, what would have been the difference? But if I fail, well, you know, yeah. I've not lost anything. And I realised also that I could still work in sexual health without being a midwife. And so actually that sort of, I just thought, okay. So I had a job at the time as a midwife at UCL. So I rang up UCL. So this is an also good example of don't just panic. I rang them up and said, I failed. And they said, what? Okay, come. And I said, but I'm not a midwife. And they said, no, but you're a nurse and come, we'll employ you as a staff nurse. And so I was employed as a staff nurse until I retook, which was something like eight months later. I worked on the postnatal wards and then I passed. And I remember passing and then saying, okay, you need to go and get, I it was a red belt as a midwife. And they said, um, you need to go down into the laundry and get your red belt. I didn't want to go and get it. I was thinking... <laughs> You were no, like, I really I, like the postnatal ward. I'm like, getting along really well here. And I was just thinking, oh my God, the responsibility now. You know? yeah. So so that was that. And then I went, and um, while I was um, working on the labour ward, so I worked on the labour ward with, ironically, some of the senior midwives that we have in our university. And um, small world. it is a small world. You put, yes, it's a very small world. And I went, I decided I wanted to go and do contraception. And there wasn't any funding. So I paid to do the contraceptive course. And I did the contraceptive support course in my annual leave. Dedication. So, you know, it was something I really wanted to do. That's why I did that. And then I started working as a midwife. I'd go and do locums. And that's how I started in sexual health. So I started doing Saturday mornings if I was free. Or I'd do an evening clinic. In the meantime, I realised I did not have a degree. And so my day, it wasn't a diploma course, it wasn't a degree course. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to get anywhere, everybody was saying, you need a degree. And I just thought, do you know what, I've just spent five years of nursing training, midwifery and nursing training. I just don't think I can cope with doing more nursing theory. And I thought, I'll do something different uh, that's relevant. And so I did an open university psychology degree. So how did you decide on psychology? Was it an area that, that you felt fit with sexual health and kind of where it's you sort of, to Well, it sort of fitted in. I, I Before that, there's a sort of gap. I, after working on a midwife and labour ward for quite a while, I decided that, you know, I was getting home late at night. You don't get paid for staying over your hours. If you're doing a delivery, um, the baby stops being delivered at 
half past nine, you're there for another hour and a half writing up the notes. And I was getting home about midnight, getting up for an early at five and thought, no. <laughs> this is not a lie. I was married by this time. This is not a lie for me. And so I decided to go into general practice and I got a job as a practice nurse. And of course, I had a contraceptive qualification and that was it. It just took me straight in there. I had tried to get into full time contrace- contraception and sexual health, but there were no full time jobs. Okay. So I still did locum and odd sessions here and there for them. And was it a, was it a case that mm-hmm. that they just employed part time members of staff, or was it that everyone that was in the speciality wasn't going anywhere, and they were permanently? Stuck, no, stuck it was there? very much sessional. So okay. sexual contraception and sexual health was very much it was open in the evenings, and it was open at the weekends in some areas of London. And Brooke did clinics, um, and I worked for them for quite a while. They did Saturday morning clinics. And sort of, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And I certainly did Saturday morning clinics in Brixton when my daughter was a baby. It was great. My husband worked office hours. So actually, that was quite good for me. He looked after my daughter and I went into the Saturday morning clinic. And then I did an evening clinic as well. A Monday evening clinic. He arrived at six o'clock. We met at the gate. Literally handed her, bye. Handed my daughter and went She's fine. And I got back at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, But I would be doing that. I did it on top. I worked as a practice nurse and practice nursing, you could use contraception. What I did in practice nursing was I worked four long days a week. And the four long days started at eight and they finished at half past seven. That gave me one day off a week. And that gave me a day to do other things like work for um, contraceptive services as a locum but it also gave me an opportunity to do a counselling diploma because actually I was starting to do quite a lot of counselling with patients in my surgery so I started off doing that I did a three-year diploma in counselling and actually I was very lucky the GPs paid for that they were keen for me to do that they could see the benefit for their practice. They had lots of people who had high blood pressure, who had marriage problems. The sort of counselling I did was, is, and it still is, is long-term counselling. So things for people who've been abused, you could spend six months a year talking, listening to them, trying to get them to come to terms with what's happened to them. In those days, and there still is actually very few services for that. So That led me to doing a psychology degree. I felt that doing a psychology degree fitted in with my counselling, but it also fitted in with nursing. So it fitted in both areas. And so I did an open university. It's recognised by the British Psychological Society. I think open university courses are very good. In my day, it cost us, so I paid for it. And it's going to sound like it's nothing to our students. So it was something like... 60 pounds a month and you could pay it monthly which I you know I have argued with our university we should be doing that too I think it's a very easy way of paying and you, you didn't notice it I think and as well the open university I did my mentorship through them because yeah. actually my my unit at the time wouldn't you know they didn't have the funding to pay mm. for it and it was a quarter of the price yeah of, of if I had to pay for a kind of face-to-face university course so that's why I yeah I found it really good it's just it's obviously very difficult isn't it like we're doing online learning now because of covid and one of my students said oh it's just like doing a distance course and I said well it's not because I'm there at 9am 10am going hello I'm on zoom it's live where I don't know your experience but the open university is very your course is there 
off you go. It's, I learned a lot about myself, to be honest, and I had always been somebody. That, I mean, if you talk to our colleagues, a lot of people say, oh, Sue's very bright, she's very clever. I'm not. I'm really not. I didn't write till I was eight. I'm very much, I was very much a slow developer. And I say that because, you know, there will be students that are exactly the same as me. And I, when I did this open university degree, I realized how I was very driven. So the one thing about me is I'm very driven. I got up at 4.30 every morning and I did. Sue, you're putting me to shame. (laughs) I had a student a few years ago who's pregnant in her last year. She was doing a dissertation. She said she was something like eight months pregnant. She said, I don't know how. And she's got a toddler. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said to her, do you know what? There is always time in the day. And I told her what I did. And I thought, at least it's offering some sort of way of doing it. And I said, I chose the morning because... I knew I was awake, I'm better in the morning, I'm happy to get up. But some people would do it last thing at night. And if that's the way they work, that's fine. But there is time in the day. It's just you give up some sleep or you give up some, you give up your social life, you give up things. And I had, I certainly had a partner who was very supportive. So I had my baby during that five-year psychology degree. And she was, I did the child, the child year with her. on the floor crawling around so I got up and he would do on a Saturday he'd take her out so I was I was lucky from that but I was working full-time so I was working five days a week I was getting great grades you know I was I was doing (laughs) the answer everyone you've got down by half four and then you do really but it's it's also doing something you want and you know the coursework you do have to do everything and what we're both saying about that sort of way is it works for some people Mm. now I know my husband years later did an open university um, course and said to me oh my god this is horrible and he hated it and he said I can't do this and I said and I thought yeah because that's not the way you learn. You don't learn that way. Whereas for me, it was it was ideal. So it's learning the way you want. And most of our students that they say now, they say they want to meet you in person. Even if you've done a beautiful Kaltura voice PowerPoint, they say to me, but I want to meet you. And I get that. I completely get that. And some people will be, I would just like to read it from a book. Yeah and something but open university materials are very well organized and so I did that and we did summer school and I did a week of summer school my husband bless him looked after my a week's holiday and he used a week of his holiday so I could go to open university and it was great fun one of my greatest friends who's also she's a senior lecturer she's at a London university we did our degrees together and we used to what we did we didn't know each other we met on the first day of summer school in the first year and we budded up and we would meet up in London and we would revise together and we would say you know we'd revise different things and so when the exam came up and I do think I've said this to students things came up and I thought oh that's Claire and I would just (laughs) write you know write all of you know because Claire had remind had taught me things and she said I used to say talk about goodness to fit how children that are born into families if they have good goodness to fit then you have more successful parenting. And that's a really important theory and about sort of attachment theory. And so I remembered all of this very clearly because obviously I had a baby at the time. Mm. She'd go, oh yeah, and I did all of this and I put all of that in. And you know, it was really good sort of revision technique. 
And I think as well, like arts assessment with one of my friends that I, I happen to work on a different ward with, mm. and we just happen to be on the course at the same time. And I, as a nurse, I'm not mm. very good at, I, I've got an awful short term memory. Mm. So for me, learning a new skill, I have to repeat it step by step by step until it almost becomes second nature. Any OSCEs or any like, you know, intensive care setting up an EVD or something, I've had to practice it on my own in like the sterile room repeatedly mm. until it becomes that kind second of nature. Yeah, before it becomes imprinted. And I remember, yeah, before my advanced assessment me and my friend Michelle I went round to hers and we practiced every single uh, organ system assessment repeatedly and then in our OSCE it was cardiac and she looked over at me and I thought this is because it's my favorite <laughs> she knows <laughs> she knows that this is my favorite and she but you're right it's, it's having that buddy and working out I think and being honest to yourself like I know I can't cram the day before because I haven't got a good enough memory yeah. but I've got to start a lot of time before and give myself I don't think there are many people who can cram the day before and I don't think there are people that retain stuff as much I I think a lot of people are more like us and more more struggle to remember stuff and and I think you have to find different ways to do that so so you've done your MSc after your BSc you did it in both sexual health and education for anyone listening it's you might know already it's quite common for nurses to either focus on an area of clinical practice or to focus on an, uh, an, an education master's. How did you find combining those two together? So that, that it's sort of by that time I was now working part-time for the university and I was working part-time for sexual health. I got into the university through my job in sexual health. I was seconded, that's how I got into the university originally and I was seconded by the um, trust. By that time, I'd gone from general practice working into sexual health, and I worked part-time in research in contraception and part-time in clinical work. And so I never wanted to lose that. I never wanted to lose that element, but I also recognised that I really needed that sort of educational sort of background. I was also still working 50% for the university and 50% for sexual health, which is unusual in our department because most people work either one and I actually have done that all the way through my career up until about four years ago I was always doing that now I work sort of half a day in sexual health and um, four days at the university and that and that's the this is the most hours I've worked for the university it's difficult because they're both coming from different ends it is difficult to maintain both strands of your career and it's difficult to keep your clinical skills and your educational career and meet the requirements to develop as a lecturer. So that's that was difficult. And I also wrote up, I did a piece of research for my master's. I very much wanted to do it. It was about service users in sexual health experience of online information and I was particularly interested in looking at the sort of myth stuff that they pick up and how inaccurate or accurate it was and I remember my supervisor saying but you know you need to look at it you know from the research method and I'm thinking I'm not really interested in the I mean I have a lot more now but you know when I did that I was thinking yes but this is the real interesting bit you know so it it is difficult but you sort of develop that and you have to learn what bits fit in with that and you do need to know about the methodology 
um, to move forward, really. And you do need to know how to carry out really good research as well and to be able to produce that material. And have you got any advice for anyone that wants to move into uh, sexual health as a field of practice? I have, I said to Sue before we started, every third year class mm. I teach, there's always one or two that say, I really want to be a sexual health nurse. And I always have to say, I don't actually know, I don't know anything <laughs> about that field. And here we are. So what advice would you give? So I always get people asking and I get students asking me that as well. And it's a really difficult one now because so there used to be more full time jobs because of the cutbacks. There are less. That does not mean it's not impossible. You can go in ways. There are areas in London that still do sessional stuff. So you could do a job in general nursing and sort of apply for sessional work. And if you had a contraceptive qualification, that would definitely help you. So if you're a midwife or an adult nurse, then you could do that and that would get you in. You can apply for sexual health band five jobs and they will train you up. And that will be a sort of, it's easy to train people up on site for STIs. That's an easy one. People will always do that within the service. The contraception qualification, which is what you really need to develop, the combined both, that one there's less funding for and there are less courses now. So it's it's difficult. We've had a lot of closures of services across London and that is not good. Um, but also there's a lot of fight back still about that. You know, people are fighting that. And that doesn't mean to say that that's huge. There are also places like Brook Advisory Service that deal with young people and they're always looking for locums as well. Mary Stopes, they're a charity. They do abortion and contraception. You should look at all of those sort of services. I would also say if you go into sexual health, you should have a positive outlook about abortion. So if you feel strongly against abortion for religious reasons, this is not, probably not the area to go into. You're going to be dealing with that um, subject. And then you would get asked that at an interview as well. And in terms of getting, you know, the contraception course, if mm. someone wanted to do that before they actually got a job in sexual health, is it like other courses where you have to be working in the area or you have to have someone to be able to sign you off or can it be done if you're working? They do. They do. We do now offer the course without clinical placements. You can do the theory. So you could do that. And that's, that's one way it's going to, make a lot more sense if you perhaps have got a low, lower band job um like a band five and you do contraception and sexual health and they're more likely to give you a placement and the problem is is you know when i did it um placements weren't charged for now they charge for placements so that's another added thing as the course is charged for and the placements charged for and we don't have any jurisdiction on that. We can help you try and find a placement, but places are short of nurses. So as well as being less service, there is, a, you know, there is, there are, they are looking for nurses, but you do have to be prepared to start at the bottom and train up. And if nurses were newly qualified and they knew they wanted to end up in sexual mm. health, was there a particular area that you would recommend for them to, you know, apply for their first job, kind of almost as a gateway or to help them develop the skills to then... 
I mean, I think practice nursing is a good sort of gateway. You could go into a genuine medicine or an HIV area um, and sidestep because they're all sort of there. If you go, if you're a midwife, obviously midwifery is very aligned because it's a lot of women's health. You could do gynae. Gynae is a very good sort of step. I certainly did gynae in my training and as a, as a staff nurse, they fit in very nicely. I think adult nursing, a lot of sexual health, a lot of the things you deal with, like DVTs, heart problems assessment, is very lends itself very much to your adult training. So all of that will help. If you're a midwife and you want to go into sexual health, you have to be careful that you keep your midwifery registration up, that it doesn't lapse. So that is something you have to be mindful of about what you're doing. That's that's just something you need to be. It's, it's easier if you're an adult in a way. And you are a very established author of books and journal articles. Mm. How did you start writing materials for publication? And what pieces of advice have you got for anyone that would like to publish? publish in the future? So I started off because many years ago, somebody said to me, you should write an article. And it was just as simple as that. I wrote a piece about sexual health. It was a module leader on a course and she checked it through and I offered to do that for my students. And then somebody else asked me to write a chapter in a book. And that chapter in the book I wrote, I was talking to the editor and she asked me if I'd write a a book. And so I did. And I think it's taking the opportunities when they arise. It's not well paid. (laughs) So don't expect much money. I have helped lots of people write chapters. And I would say if you do, that is about being organised and setting yourself deadlines and keeping to those deadlines so that it doesn't get, you don't leave so much with short short amount of time to do. You know, like that essay that you do at midnight when you're supposed to hand in. But if you are that person, you can't do that with books because you have to, to do progressive sort of writing and put all the referencing in. So you have to be organised and do it, break it up into small chunks and do a little bit frequently I think and the editors ha- give you an idea of what they wanted you to write or was it literally we want a book on this area we want a book there. on this area we want a book on this area and as you know Anya and I have written a book and they came to me originally and said this book's out of date on um, mentoring and assessment would you write one and I thought Will I? (laughs) (laughs) I thought, will I? And I thought, do you know what? And Anya used to sit opposite me in the Williams building and I thought, oh, I could do it with Anya. And Anya said, oh, really? And I said, look, we could do half each. And half each immediately makes it easy. So we both, dividing it up makes it much more copable. But I also have been very strict. I've never written a book where it's multi-contributed chapters and I've either written a chapter for somebody else or I've written the whole book myself because I'm under control of things being handed in on time yeah it's too stressful otherwise and it's too stressful and people don't always deliver the goods and actually I do have friends who've done these multi-contributed books and the heartache they've done when people haven't have suddenly said oh actually I can't do that chapter and that's that's just awful so destroying (laughs) it is soul destroying so I so I'd never put myself in that but I chose to do a chapter so so with the last book I've chosen to do that with somebody that I knew she would be coming up and she would find it useful and you're 
at the moment you're doing your PhD, what advice have you got any for, for any nurses or midwives that want to undertake a PhD? It's a long journey. It's a very long journey. Do something you like. Make sure that you have very good supervision. It's full of sort of peaks and troughs. I think a lot of the time through your nursing career and people always think you get where you do and then it's been easy. It's not, it's not easy. And this is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I do think at times, why the hell have I done this? You know, what, what on earth have I done? And it's an awful lot of your own time. So be prepared that you are going to give up your own time and you're going to have to do that to do that. And if you don't want to do that, make sure you do it at the right time in your life as well, because I think you've got to have that time to spare to be able to do it. Oh, this is too stressful. <laughs> yes. Time to take a little. And what are your career plans for the future? Um, well, I'm near the end of my career. So I think really it's getting my PhD finished. I think it's sort of making sure that you pass on stuff to other people safely and that they can carry it on, that your students do well, that they enjoy the courses you do, that they come out feeling that they are prepared. And I run the prescribing modules and I sort of feel it's so important to be able to produce safe prescribers. I do lots of things. I, I work for the NMC as a reviewer of prescribing modules across the UK. And so there are different things you can do that sort of give you um, different focuses and make you develop in different ways. So yes. I just want to say thank you so much Sue for coming today and you've answered so many questions um, and it's been a really, it's been a really uh, interesting podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Laura.